Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paul Lefevre. I'm here with my ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. Today is Friday, the 10th of March, 2023. Uh, today, we're uh, kind of taking a break from uh, where we were on the Warrior Virtues, and uh, we are talking about nonprofit organizations, at least today. And uh, we do have a special guest. They're always special. Uh, but we have the CEO of Silent Bridge, which is a nonprofit organization uh, which has a global reach and it's designed uh, to help the defenseless. Uh, and so today we uh, want to welcome the CEO of Silent Bridge. How are you doing, sir? Doing great. How are you doing, Paul? Fantastic. This is something we've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And uh, as you know, our listeners know, uh, the Pilot Podcast, we do fear God, we hate evil. And uh, so you are definitely cut from the same cut of cloth, my friend. And I just wanted to start off with this uh, scripture. Uh, James 1, 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And so uh, having known a little bit about Silent Bridge, I know that your mission is really to do that. What do you say to that? Well, it definitely is. I mean, that, that's that is that is our one of our main missions is to help help these young women around the world that have uh, uh, just had these these uh, uh, horrific things in environments that they've been in. Uh, yeah, that's, that's 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 our main goal. Yeah, and they now um, for those there's probably a lot of us don't know about Silent Bridge. There's a lot of nonprofits out there uh, that rescue people from the clutches of evil. Uh, but what would you say, how would you describe Silent Bridge? Well, Silent Bridge, I mean, the best way to describe it is really to understand the, the beginning and the start of it. I mean, what, what was the catalyst that started us uh, down this path? Um, and it started out with a, um, a trip that I was on, um, and I call it Country A. That was a... One night I got a knock on the door about 11 o'clock at night uh, in that time in that area. And uh, there was a man there and he tried to sell me a, a couple of young kids. And um, I, I didn't understand the language that well, but I understood what he was trying to do. I went to the front desk and just I told the front desk clerk at this place. It was a nice hotel for the area. And she said that uh, they've been having trouble with sex traffickers coming in trying to sell uh, children to, um, you know, what appeared to be wealthy foreigners. And, um, and I'm not proud of that, but when I left that location, I said, you know, it's not really my problem. You know, this is a third world country, a lot of problems. Um, I can't fix it all. And, uh, flash forward months later, I'm in country B and I need to, uh, leave my hotel and, uh, some things I had to do. 
and I uh, asked somebody at the front desk, I said, hey, I'm trying to go to kind of this area. What's the best way to get there? Because this is jam-packed with motorcycles and heavy traffic, as you see, in a lot of third-world countries. And she said that the best, easiest way to get there on foot was to go across this bridge. And I, uh, she warned me, though, that there was that area there was a lot of trouble with um, human trafficking and that uh, also crime. And so I went that way, and I was, I was approaching this bridge. It was an old Roman bridge, actually. And I was approaching the bridge, footbridge, and I saw, I knew there's a lot of dog fighting in that country, too. And I saw this problem by the base of the bridge. And so all this dust was up, rolling around. And I thought, well, it's just a dog fight. A bunch of men around watching the event. And all of a sudden, this girl breaks out of the event, and her clothes are pretty much torn off of her. She's was probably she was probably 12 or 14 but the, 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 the women there are pretty small stature size and um she looked like about 10 or so but anyway, she was running towards me and i thought she was gonna run right in my arms which is the last thing i wanted to have happen at that point um because of what was going on uh and uh she turned right where she got to me and she went up the bridge she got about it wasn't a long bridge. She got about halfway up, and she turned around, and she looked back at me, and uh, she looked just like my oldest granddaughter at the time. And uh, then it became my problem. Um, and from that, um, I left and came back, and uh, I kind of sought out some other organizations that uh, were involved with the human trafficking piece. And uh, found some and went and volunteered some time with them. Saw what they were doing, and, and they all started with a good cause, um, you know, and they still are doing good work. Um, but at one point, I decided that um, uh, I felt that the organization would be it'd be good to start an organization that's just about not about not about us and talking about what we're doing and how we're doing it and operationally how we do things. Um, but more focused on just the girls. And, uh, and then from that, I started calling people and uh, uh, find people that were like-minded, that uh, not talking about themselves, but not using their names, uh, not doing videos about what we were doing, but uh, just focused on saving these young women, as many of them as we could. And uh, luckily, I had a pool of those kind of people. Um, they um, just volunteered right away flew from all over the country we rented a hotel room and a comp big conference room with uh all whiteboards around the whole room and we sat in there for days and um came up with all kinds of ideas of how to start the organization what would our mission be um where would we go and we decided that we were going to focus on um the places that nobody else wanted to go um because it was either too difficult possibly too dangerous. Um, and these are places that most of these um, men and women have been to in their other careers. And uh, that's kind of how we got started. But then when they all left, it was kind of on, kinda on um, just a small group of us that implement all those ideas. Um, one of the more challenging things I think I've ever done in my life. And um, we started at it. And uh, it was a challenge in the beginning because... Um, uh, 
you know, you're trying to find donations, you're trying to find how do you operate, uh, you're trying to find, um, uh, make sure that people are trained properly before they go out the door, because each country is so unique and each mission is so unique. And um, so um, we were kind of hitting a brick wall for quite a while, but um, uh, COVID, believe it or not, was a windfall for us. Um, we were doing other things already, but it was a windfall for us because one of the largest brothels in the world that we wanted to get into, and we had tried um, pretty, pretty, uh, very hard for many, many, many months. Um, we realized that, you know, one day I was listening to the news and it was talking about that they had shut these brothels down, that the girls couldn't work, and they lived day by day. We knew that. Um, uh, the money they got uh, day by day is what fed their children. And and we started hearing the kids were starving. And um, so even some of the most evil people in the world can have a love for children. And uh, we were able to convince the people running the brothel to let us come in and bring food supplies in. So we organized convoys of trucks and food and security for it and sanitation devices and people to train them. And we developed that rapport over months and months of COVID there um, with the women. And at one point in time, we decided we were going to approach the women and see if you can't be released from bondage, can we at least focus on bringing out um, ones that had daughters that were reaching um, puberty? Because now the patrons were starting to tell the mothers, you know, I pay you X amount per day for your services. Um, how much would it cost me to have to be with your 12 year old, 11, 12 year old daughter. And, um, that's how we started. That was one of our first major missions. Um, that, um, we call them safe havens. That safe haven now has a lot of, uh, they were young women when they came to us and now some of them are becoming adults. And the great story about that is, is that, uh, this, this last couple of months, three of them decided they want to be doctors are very smart and we're sending them to medical school and they're going to go back and then treat the women in the brothel. That's going to be their mission. And one wants to be an attorney that works through the legal system to go back and try to help release other women, including their mother from bondage. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It's uh, and you, you have, uh, I mean, there's a lot of needs out there, I think, but and what I'm hearing is, I mean, you, you got a heart, I mean, this is the, the prevalence of uh, human trafficking. Uh, and then, like you said, you it ran across uh, your path and you owned it. Uh, well, yeah, I think, I think um, <clears throat> for any warrior that's been in uniform and has traveled um, throughout the world and been overseas, I mean, you can't help but bump into this. Um, and it's extremely prevalent. I'm not, you probably have the stats on this. I mean, I, I'm not even sure if, um, if the governments that try to track this or the various different NGOs that actually try to um, maintain numbers of this are accurate. But I know for myself, no matter what country I've been in, I'm sure Paul's the same way. I mean, you, it's, you know, it's there. Sex trafficking is there. When you were talking about your, your story, um, where this is not my problem. The guy coming up and knocking on the, uh, the hotel door. 
uh, I think everyone's been there. I mean, if you've been overseas any like the time, I mean, you've, you've had that knock. And I think all of us have done exactly what you've done, which is this is not my problem because it, it's a huge problem. And some of it is not that, not that you don't want to do anything, but it's almost like it's an overwhelming type of thing. It's like you wouldn't, it's like trying to save you know, sea turtles or something. I mean, it's just, there's just thousands and thousands. And your experience on the bridge, I mean, my goodness. Um, how big, how big of a problem is this? And is this, you know, we hear reports even on the Southern border um, where we're starting to see a lot of sex trafficking um, on our, our own porous borders. Uh, we've had uh, whistleblowers. So how, how prevalent is this? Well, it's really prevalent. I mean, there, one country, for example, in the Asian Pacific contacted me just a couple months ago, and I call that country D, and uh, they, um, they had 900 documented, 970,000 young women under 18 that were forced into human sex trafficking from that country moved to other countries. In, in, um, in, what in what type of period of time? In one year. That's incredible. That's, that's astounding. That's a, a, a million, that's almost a million young women. Another country that we were in recently, um, country A, um, the, uh, there is a significant uh, refugee camp there. And the traffickers come in at night and they tell the, uh, they'll tell like the fathers or single mothers because the husband died in the transit uh, or during the conflict uh, that they, from the country they came from, will come in and tell the parent, you know, the, the surviving parents that, uh, hey, you know, you're, you're, you have an older daughter here. You got to take care of six kids. Um, we'll give your daughter a great job and we're going to send you money and she's going to come back and see you. And uh, we'll even have you come and see her at least a couple times a year, and we're going to educate her. And they moved these young women. Uh, we've documented this. They moved them down to a port. Um, from that port, they put them on transatlantic ships that are involved in some of this, and they move those women to other ports, and they're never seen again. Uh, another country that we're in recently, um, I call that country that uh, I call it one usually country E. Um, people come in from another country, um, and they'll come into a restaurant. They will, uh, talk to the owners of the restaurant. They'll see young women working in there as waitresses. A lot of them are orphans because of the, what some of the things that have happened in that country. And they'll tell them, you know, your daughter, she's so beautiful. And, um, the guy will say, well, that's not my daughter. She's an orphan. I've taken her in. She's a good young lady. Well, I'd like to. I just think she's beautiful. I'd like to marry her and I'll send money back to you. I'll give you so much money right now. And then that girl disappears and never seen again. Um, uh, then the last part of when you ask about how bad of a problem this is, uh, country, um, B, um, that we operate in. Um, there's a large city, one of the largest capital city of that country. And same thing, a lot of orphans, young, uh, young women, that are orphans, they have no other place to go, and they will get jobs in restaurants. And these trappers, they travel around to these restaurants, and they'll do that same thing. Your daughter, she's so beautiful. We've got so many girls that we've rescued, we've interviewed, and they've said the same things, the same story. That some of them have been right there when the trappers said this, and um, they'll end up buying the young women. A lot of these women are sleeping in broom closets and stuff. They're working in the kitchen. They're cleaning up. They're waitresses. 
and uh, there most of them are 12 to 18 years old some of them a lot even younger and then the traffickers to bypass um the uh, mitigation efforts that are happening in those countries uh we'll use like internal airlines to move the girls by airlines to a border point and move them across uh, one that, that one country country d um not a, we bumped into this by accident last year um they were not only um uh, tracking the girls and moving them to a large brothel in another country they were also moving them to another country across the border for organ harvesting talked to the border guards that had had kids that had come back across uh the border half clothed with scars on their sides where they'd had kidneys and livers removed hmm. Yeah, this is, I mean, this seems to me like I, I think all of us are kind of familiar with the world's oldest profession, which is sort of uh, you're in country, whatever, and, um, you know, you could find prostitutes from that country, uh, from that community. I mean, they really don't need to go anywhere. So if, um, if you're from uh, town A and state, whatever, um, the prostitutes of, you know, are from there, uh, they're known, but... The whole the whole thing now seems to be uh, always moving them. Uh, they 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 leave the country of their origin and they're always put someplace um, that's they're unfamiliar with. Uh, they don't understand the customs. They don't understand how the legal system works. They have no friends. They there's it, it really even makes it that much tougher for them uh, to change their mind to to to. Uh, get out of that profession to escape or, or whatever is, is, am I seeing this right? Is this kind of the trend now is always to uh, move from country A to country B? Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, um, you know, that's, that's what's happening is that they'll take their documents away. If they even have documents, you know, because we have to, we got to remember is that, you know, a lot of the war zones, you know, that, that we probably all operated in, over the years when people leave those war zones a lot of times they don't have paperwork it's not like they went to some place and got a passport and got papers across the border they maybe couldn't get to that location or they came from such a austere part of the country they couldn't and they're just trying to escape the what they were involved um and what was happening in their country um and we see on the you talked about the southern border um you know same thing look at these uh, the people that come across the southern border are coming from you know South America, Central America, 80 plus countries around the world. Uh, these young women are crossing the border. A lot of them are unaccompanied. Many of them have been sexually assaulted during transit. Um, because you can imagine you know the environment they're in, trying to move from uh, the, their point of landing if they're from outside South or Central America, and then they're crossing the border. And then once they get in the border. Across the border, most of them don't have any paperwork. I mean, that's the biggest thing on the border, really documenting who these people really are and using biometrics. And um, uh, we were uh, on the border uh, within the last 12 months um, in two uh, different locations, um, uh, watching to see what the problem was. We were looking at the different NGO organizations that were there. What were they doing to, to try to help uh, mitigate some of this problem and there was really no mitigation taking place it was only um housing by some ngo organizations and very limited resources for treatment for what the women had been through um you know just they've been through they were in total crisis the ones that we saw um 
and we were down there looking at technology. How can we employ technology to um, mitigate the trafficking that's happening? Because what happens when they move them across the border and they have no paperwork, um, you know, these young women are moved to different homes. Um, there was a home recently in a, a thing that we were involved in where there was uh, 13 girls that were in the basement of this big house, and uh, it was all for sex trafficking. They were all from South and Central America. Um, all those girls were. Um, when they were rescued, not by us, but by um, law enforcement, uh, they were interviewed. And when they were interviewed, it was in a private location. Some of our people were there to be able to listen to the story. It was just horrific what they'd all been through. Hey, so I have a question. Uh, the two of them, really, the, the first is uh, you mentioned some of the organizations that are uh, doing this uh, trafficking here south of our border. Uh, what other organizations, uh, I mean, are there, is this like an organized form of, you know, like a, a, uh, some of these, um, I guess, groups? down in Mexico, they have, uh, you know, the cartels. Do you have, like, cartel types that in our country A and B you're talking about that that uh, make this stuff happen, like a criminal organization? Yeah, the ones moving across the – they're moving the women across the borders are – there's there's two types, and this is just in my opinion from my observations and what I know and the ones that we've worked with is that you have the cartels, the organized criminal organizations, and uh, that's number one, um, that are providing the um, uh, passages and the way to passage and the transportation and also the handlers to get them up to the border. And then you have the opportunists who are on the other side of the border. So, uh, for example, you know, we know that we have many countries in the world that are in, uh, having major conflicts right now. And um, uh, one country, for example, is the uh, traffickers, um, they have they have uh, scouts on um, the eastern side of the border, and those scouts spot young women that look worn out, look tired, but they're attractive, and they're traveling alone. And uh, it's this, they approach them and uh, tell them that, you know, hey, can I help you with your baggage? You're carrying a heavy load there. Um, and uh, this is when you get across the border. I got a friend that will give you a ride. And when they cross the border, a lot of these guys are taking pictures of their cell phones, and then they're sending them to the person on the other side of the border. And once they cross this channelized point, then the trafficker spots, identifies the woman, identifies himself as a friend of the person, and says, I'm going to give you a ride, never to be seen again. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way that, that they're, you know, that they're, they're doing that. So you got the, again, you get the opportunist, and then mm-hmm. you have, um, um, and then you have the, uh, the cartels and, you know, and, and I've heard, you know, we've all heard a lot of different figures. So um, I'm not into compiling the data. I just know what I see on the ground. And uh, what I see on the ground is that um, uh, organizations like the cartel, and there's organizations like that. You look at the, you look in Europe and what's happening is, you know, we have, there's a lot of uh, state-sponsored uh, mercenary groups. And those state-sponsored mercenary groups are very involved in this human trafficking piece too. Um, and, um, you know, they're already in areas that are war zones. They already see the vulnerable and, um, uh, they're, uh, really a lot of cases are a criminal element. And, um, so they, they take that 
that they see that opportunity and they get involved in human trafficking as they do on drugs too. Um, I, I've, my opinion is, is that human trafficking is, is quickly approaching is, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the profit margin is quickly approaching, approaching what the cartels are, um, accumulating from uh, drug trafficking. Yeah, we're, I think we're, we're seeing where, um, the disease, if you will, this virus, this, this, um, this business, because uh, it really is just a slave trade. Uh, that's what we're looking at. But we're starting to see it in um, legit, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, sort of legit government organizations. We have, they're taking advantage of uh, having people that are uh, on the ground, uh, have a purpose, you know, reason to be where they're at, doing what they're doing, engaging in um uh, nefarious illegal activity we're starting to see more and more of that we're starting to see that in um in various different not even just ngos but even just uh, like you said government contracting um and a lot there's I mean, every now and then you'll see the reports uh, and the articles coming up so this is a huge uh, major problem it's a, it's an infestation um and i think these organizations are extremely dangerous so it's what what is a what does a young lady do when she's when she's caught? What are her choices? I mean, how does is is it is it even possible for these ladies to get out? And how difficult is it? Well, it depends upon where they're at. So, for example, like the um, you know we're focused a lot on child brides um, uh, and women that other other women that were forced into sex labor. So, um, you know, some of the women, for example child brides in, in country a um they uh, are given away you know uh, by their family to usually some man that could be you know 50 60 years older than in some cases and, and sometimes they they you know, they will run away and it happens a lot of it. they get on the street and there will be these handlers that are on the street that are women that are motherly looking type women that'll find these young women on the streets and this one country I was in, there was just there's so many of them out there. It's unbelievable. Um, and, and, uh, it's like a market. These, these, uh, motherly women, uh, looking women will, um, befriend these young ladies. They feel that they were, um, uh, forgotten by their family, given away by their mother and father to a horrible environment. And, uh, they don't like the tradition and, uh, they run away and then this lady will, uh, become their friend. And the next thing she knows, she's in a brothel. Uh, they will, um, I've interviewed several of them of what happened. It's pretty much the same story. Um, they're brought in and a man comes in, they're locked in a room. A man comes into the room, says, I'm going to be your best friend the rest of your life. I'm going to take care of you. Sorry about what happened to you. You were given away by your family. We're your family now. And then he goes out the door and another man comes in and, and uh, beats her for about 15, 20 minutes. And then he goes out and the other man comes back in and says, uh, hey, I'm really sorry about that. I don't know what his problem was today. That won't happen again. And then the door opens again a couple hours later. And a man comes in and rapes her two or three times. And then he leaves and the guy comes back in. After about three days of that, they're totally submissive. And uh, they let him, they get him cleaned up over a week period of time. And now they're working in the brothel because they don't want to get beaten and raped again. Um, you know, forcibly, uh, they become very submissive to just service the men that they're given. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I often, I often, well, I'm, I, so I'm thinking, um, 
there's a couple challenges. Number one, you got to find these ladies. And then, of course, the other challenge is, like you just mentioned, is, okay, they're already in a traumatized, psychological, you know, bad place. Um, what, do you, what are you doing with that? I mean, how, how are you taking this uh, person? Um, are you just, are you looking for those that there's some sort of glimmer of something still there that can be um, harnessed, that can be um, leveraged? Um, you're trying to find these ladies that look like they're trying to get out of that situation and providing them the hope. Because um, it seems to me you just can't just come up to one of these ladies and just say, "Hey, uh, come with me." You know, forget this. Let's go. Let's go live a different life. I mean, some of these ladies have, have been seriously traumatized over a long period of time. Is 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 that the is that the case? Well, that is the case, and that was one of the unique challenges we had. I, I talked earlier about the, the whiteboard exercise, and we got all done with that. I was like, look at the board, you know, and, and I, I mentioned that. I said, you know, all these other organizations that I kind of volunteered for to work for us, they they were really into the the rescue part of it. You know, it's like, let's go get them. But then it's the what, what then? Like, what do you do with those girls? That's what you're talking about. Like, what do you do with them? Number one, how do you find them? But number two is, what do you do with them once you have them? And what I found is that a lot of organizations had no plan. And I remember, you know, I remember being in a room one time, somebody wrote up on the board, have a plan. You know, I was like, what the hell does that mean? Have a plan. You know, have a plan. You know, I said, you know, I was a young, young, you know, very young guy at the time in the military. He's like, have a plan. And you look at that, have a plan. So, so I said, what are we going to do with these when we rescue them? Where are they going to go? I said, well, there's going to be some NGO organization that wants to take care of them. That's, you know, that's not our deal. And then um, I started calling organizations, you know, hey, do you take, what do you do with the women? Um, well, we rescue them. I said, well, where do they go after that? Hmm. Uh, we, you know, and um, so we yeah, decided to build this thing from scratch. Gonna, yeah. We got to build, <laughs> we have to build a place to put these women. So. Wow. That's what are we going to call them? So I said, we're going to call them safe havens. So first we had to build a safe haven before we started. So every country now that we go into, we build the safe haven first. We get it all completely staffed, get the staff trained, and then the women, the, we start doing the rescues. Now, then the question about how do you find these women? You know, I think that was one of your points. How do you find these women? So each country, of course, as we all know from our travels, has a unique culture, unique religions. Um, unique languages, different dialects, uh, different customs. And so we try to build a program based upon that country's unique religions, unique cultures, et cetera. And um, so country B, for example, outreach program for, for, for we break the rescues down in what we call hard rescues and soft rescues. So we don't do very many hard rescues. It's hard rescues, you end up in a prison or a foreign country. I don't want to do that. Um, soft rescues is when you're, uh, you try to work with the local villages, the local provinces, the local government to try to have them tell you about women that are in crisis or could be in crisis. Um, and, uh, that's how, that's how we approach that piece. So, um, and then the question comes about like, uh, we can't do this in country C, but we can do this in country A. But country A, we have a we have safe haven one, and we're going to move to safe haven two pretty soon. Um, we're at that point at that country. So safe haven one is um, 
uh, it's not where we're going out and rescuing the women that are actually involved in the sex trade. We're rescuing the children of women that are in the sex trade that are reaching puberty. So what we do is we bring the children in first, and then we do our little um, uh, twice a month. We let the children meet with their mothers in a benign location um, and uh, so that they can see how their children are doing, how they're progressing, and know that they know we're taking good care of them. And now we're getting to the point where some of the mothers are at the end of their bondage. So during those interviews and times with their children, that visit with their children, our workers talk to the mothers and say, like, well, how much do you have left for your bondage? And they may say X amount of dollars of that, that monetary uh, funding that they use there. And, um, and if it's low enough, then uh, we're to the point now we're going to offer to the brothel workers of the, or the handlers of the brothel to um, buy them out. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then they're gonna, the women, mm-hmm. the mothers will go to Safe Haven 2. And this is how we make them a whole person again. They go to Safe Haven 2, they go through, they're gonna go through the counseling from the trauma they've been through, the medical care. These women need uh, uh, amazing medical care. Just the children we bring out need a lot of medical care. Um, but you can imagine the horrific injuries some of these women have. And uh, then once we get them where they're relatively whole, then we start uh, the reunification of, of the mother and their children. And that's in Safe Haven 2. The children still go to school in Safe Haven 1. And um, um, it's a faith-based uh, um, program that we do. Um, and then uh, at, at that point, then, once, once they're whole enough, they have two options um, in Country A. We have some people that own a, uh, a factory. It's a clothing factory, and it's not a sweat factory. It's a very nice place. Um, they are um, faith-based people and um, uh, uh, great people. And um, um, so they can either go be trained and work in the factory and make a decent wage and survive and support their children, or um, we will give them funding, uh, seed money, if you will, to start a business and um, we'll talk about the business, but it's technically based and it's very cheap to start in country a and um, they can pay us back over a small period of time so we can fund other women. And uh, and then they get their uncle, help them get housing and uh, move them on from there. That's in country a country B is a different story. I mean, country B is um, the people are there and the villages will talk to you about, I think this girl's at risk or mother and father were killed. Um, or, or uh, her mother, she was, uh, her mother was her only parent alive, passed away and she's an orphan and, and she's going to be at risk because they know the traffickers, they know who they are. And this trafficker is kind of focusing on her and we think she's going to end up disappearing one day. And um, so then we can move her to the safe haven and, uh, that safe haven is a place that's such so austere. I mean, it's like nobody's going to come up there. Um, it's 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 about a sixteen hour trek to get to that safe haven. So uh, yeah, so that, that gives you a little bit of an idea of, of what we're doing. Because country C is a war zone. It's uh, totally different. You know what we're doing there is we we have to work with the local government um, there, moving in and out uh, just for safety reasons. And um, so they know why we're there. And um, that's been a, they've been great to work with, though, that uh, 
Country C has been an awesome country to work with. They've been helping us, giving us a lot of resources. Well, I think you brought up something that um, a lot of times is, is overlooked, and that is the importance of removing the children uh, from their parents' uh, current situation. Um, because I think it's important for these kids to, to see something else other than that lifestyle. Oh, is that true, Randy? That's very true. I mean, if you see, I never show people um, the, the pictures. I'll show donors, you know, the pictures of the children afterwards. I never show them what they look like when, when the, the sensationalization of it, when we first get them, because sometimes it's just horrific, you know, and um, because it's hard for us to, from, you know, the, the benefits we've had of living in the United States, it's hard for us to understand. If you can imagine a woman that's in a, 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 a basically a six by eight room has got one bed and everybody sleeps in the bed and she's got two children. She's 18 years old or 17 years old. She already has two children and the children, because she can't let the children go outside of the room because of the pedophiles that are also wandering through the brothel. They have to lay under the bed while the mother is performing her services. And, wow. and, and that's six to eight times a day in, in uh, the brothel in Country A. And so when we bring the kids away from that, um, the first week or two that they're in the safe haven, quite often we have to have, you know, plastic sheets on the on a bed. It's in a separate room. They're away from the other girls. Um, and uh, because they went in the bed, you know, multiple times during the night. And um, um, until we can get them kind of calmed down and then reintegrate them in with the children that have kind of gotten over that part of it. Um, but, yeah, they're very traumatized. It's a it's a tough thing to see and tough thing to deal with. But then I, I do show people pictures of what they look like now. And uh, yeah, just last night, I, I was, I'd been awake about 24 hours working on some other stuff, trying to develop funding for another project we're doing. And uh, I said, damn, I'm tired, you know. Then I, I pulled up one of the pictures of what they looked like when we first got them and then what they look like now. And I said, and that kept me going for another, another several hours. Hey, I was I was going to ask you on that note because um, I'm curious to know of the success stories. You know, like uh, something like you're you're kind of going down that road. Something that is meaningful uh, that you could share with us. Sure, um, I could tell you success on uh, a rescue success story, um, and then I could tell you success story about um, where the girls were and where they're at now. Um, so, uh, we ran into a problem where, you know, we, we, we couldn't get to these girls, uh, that we were being trapped in and, uh, we were trying to figure out how they were moving them and, that, uh, and, um, I think I might've mentioned earlier, um, so they were bypassing roadblocks using an internal airline. And, uh, um, so we tried to talk to flight attendants and the flight attendants, uh, the, the airline, they wouldn't help us um, because they were worried about what the government would do if they found out they were helping us do that. Um, because there's a lot of power by these companies, these organizations that, that are doing this human trafficking and they make a lot of money. So we found family members that had family members that were flight attendants. And um, 
they agreed to let us give them a way to communicate with us and uh, um, give them a class about how to identify um, traffickers. And um, uh, they did it very successfully. And so they would uh, uh, contact the tra what who they believe is a trafficker, fit the profile of the plane, and they would uh, 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 spend a bit more time paying attention than the others. And then they would call them. They'll let us know that uh, before the plane took off, from their initial assessment, if there was one on, on the plane, they believe it was one. And then when they landed, they'd say that based upon where we trained them, they confirmed it. And we'd be waiting there. And then we'd have somebody from that country, a, uh, a national from there that was working with us, approach the person and say, oh, your daughter, she looks just like my daughter. She's so beautiful. And in that country, and when an older woman addresses you, you look her directly in the eyes. And when the girls would do that, that was kind of a, another indicator. And then our, our assessment from, uh, uh, you know, about 100 feet away to watching what was happening, the interaction. And uh, we say, yep, it's a go, you know. And we would, um, boom, we were gone with the girl. And uh, uh, we had to do that because the trappers, once they reached the vehicles, were armed. And um, uh, we'd, we'd be out of, you know, get out of Dodge and get them to a safe place. And that was a, the, the first one we did with that, seeing her um, picture the next day, she knew she was away from what she was about to go to. She knew what was coming. Um, uh, that smile on that face, uh, is, uh, that's one of the pictures I looked at last night. Um, so that, that was a, a major success story. It was a challenge on how to figure that. We just spent about a month on the ground to figure that out, you know, how we were going to do that. Um, second success story is uh, country A, and I might have mentioned that already, is here we had young women that came in at a fairly young age. Their mothers were sex workers. Um, they were living under the bed while their mother was uh, providing services during the day, all day long, um, trying to you know, shut that out of their mind. And now all of a sudden they're in a safe place. They can study, they can get education, they can realize that they can be somebody in their lives. And uh, those three girls are in the picture I looked at, actually four of them in the picture I looked at last night. They give me a little motivation. Um, and those are three that, that and they don't just want to be doctors, they're going to be doctors. And um, the other one wants to be an attorney because those three girls have made a decision. They want to go back into the brothels because doctors don't go in there and um, treat uh, women like their mother. Um, to make them as whole as they can until they can leave. And then the other one wants to fight it with, within the legal system to try to get women released from bondage that are um, uh, underage or don't want to be there. And so to me, those are huge success stories um, that we've had. Um, and also the cost of, of doing this, you know, um, the success story part there is, we were on a safe haven right now in country A. It's got 20 women in it for under $100,000 a year. Wow. It's got 13, 13 full-time staff. That's fantastic. Um, sure. And it's a beautiful building. I mean, it's a beautiful building. Um, 13 full-time staff and 20 women. And we, we're going to expand this month. Um, we're bringing in 10 more um, women in there, and those are all going to be daughters that are reaching puberty. Their mothers are sex workers in a huge brothel. So, so I kind of like uh, 
approach to this. I think I think you've got the right approach. Um, let's talk about the logistics involved in this because I think it's a lot more complicated than what people uh, would think. And the, the kind of costs that are associated with those logistics. I mean, you just talked about having to have a building, um, counseling, uh, people to uh, maintenance for the building, people that work there, take care of the actual um, victims. Um, but that's just one piece. I mean, what you have to have people in the country to do these things. You have to do surveillance for a certain amount of time. I mean, um, let's talk about all that, and and because because Silent Bridge is involved in all of that, You're, you guys are doing the hard work, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, it, it's it, and surprisingly, we do it for a pretty low price. So we're about at, at, at ninety nine cents on the dollar of donations for operational cost. I mean, ninety nine cents goes to the goes to the operational part of it and logistics part of it and one cent goes to running the, the organization um but yeah it's costly i mean it, you know it uh that's why we do most of it overseas a lot of people say why aren't you doing this in the united states there's a you know, huge human sex trafficking problem in the united states well the reality is is you know that that, that uh you know everybody wants to pass some regulation some law and the minute you take a girl into your your arms into custody rescue her or something um then the the clock starts ticking uh, you got to send her to counseling so many times uh, a week through and the counselors not all not they don't want all volunteer so you got to pay them it's a, a you know uh, uh the type of trauma they've been through you could pay anywhere from 150 to 250 dollars an hour for that type of counselor and so it's easy for one girl to cost you sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year and um, ones in the U.S. Yeah, I'd like to do it. The logistics piece. I mean, the four missions we've done, and uh, these are preliminary missions um, in country D. Uh, this last year, uh, that was about $175,000, just getting people over there, the logistics of moving the workers into the place, getting eyes on the bad guys, trying to figure out who they were, how they're operating. And they're almost 200000 bucks, And we haven't even, haven't even built a safe haven there yet. Um, but uh, it's being built right now. Actually, two of them are. Um, and then, so part of it too is you know if you're working in a war zone um you know we are uh, doing some operational stuff in a, in a uh, war zone area now and so one of the board members super smart guy he, he brought up he said we should go to mobile safe havens uh for this area i said god what a great idea man I'm, why didn't i think of that you know and um so he found this company that brings in on flatbed trucks these uh 10 mobile units is on one flatbed truck brings in, they're all stacked up and they just fold up and out. And you can put about 10 people in each one and they have bathrooms and all that stuff too. And it's way cheaper than going in and taking a, uh, uh, you know, a, uh, psych hospital that's got 20 rooms in it that's been abandoned and remodeling it, you know, and, and, um, getting rid of any mold that's in the walls and, and put getting the plumbing fixed and, and putting hot water heaters and that kind of stuff. Um, 
and then if we got to move it, you know, if the, if, if the combatant uh, area uh, becomes too intense, then uh, we can uh, move it across the border into a safe country and reset it up, and we still have the safe haven. And so that's the logistics piece that's a challenge that we've been working with right now because we're hopefully going to pull the trigger on that in the next month or two, set that up because of uh, what we think is coming here pretty soon. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a logistics piece. Trying to find, um, you know, uh, dealing with the uh, U.S. part of it, uh, being a nonprofit, and you have somebody give you, you know, donate money, um, and then uh, you have to send the money overseas, right? Well, then everybody starts watching you. Why are you sending these people $10,000 a month? Is it really going to a nonprofit? And uh, how do you keep that from getting, um, um, you know, identifying the people that are doing the operational pieces of it? That's a challenge. Because, yeah, because um, yeah, a lot media. of these, because this is kind of, this, this can be kind of dangerous. Um, and so the anonymity is important. I can see where the anonymity would be very important, especially when you're uh, up there really trying to get, uh, you know, see the pattern of life, see what's going on, see where what's happening, how they're moving them, uh, where they're coming from. Uh, this is all very dangerous. Uh, this is big money. Uh, these people are not interested in uh, having some uh, goody two-shoes come in and spoil their their gravy train. Um, silentbridge.org. Uh, that's the website. I definitely want uh, the listeners to go there, check out silentbridge.org. Uh, what's the best way to uh, to give to Silent Bridge, uh, whether it be uh, money or, or time? So if they go on the website, uh, silentbridge.org, they can see that there's um, – there, they can see the do- donation. The donation uh, page is on there. And if there is one country that's listed there that uh, is specific to that country because of the funding that's needed there. They can um, um, donate just to that one. If they donate on the, the general general part of the donation page, it helps support um, all of the other countries. And um, they can see what we do on there. They just don't see the, the exact country. They can see our, our, our focus on that website of the groups that we are focused on right now. Um, and uh, again, it's, and they'll be able to figure out kind of what countries they are. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, everybody has their own interest. Yeah. And what I really like about silent bridge also is you're, um, you know, you're going where places where other people just aren't going. Um, and really those are the places that need to be visited and where there needs to be intervention. Uh, because generally this is where, Sex trafficking really thrives is in like you like you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, war torn areas, third world uh, areas, uh, not not the most pleasant places, um, and and places where uh, these cartels and these um, organized crime uh, organizations are extremely dangerous, and they they exert a uh, large amount of influence over the the populace and the in some cases even the government. Well, definitely, we 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 call them the, the we we always say the forgotten few are really the many. Um, you know, the forgotten few are really the many, and that's because you know, these areas that people don't want to go go to because of how challenging it is. Um, you know, it's they they are dangerous areas, and 
Um, but there's so many people there because of that that need help and they're just lost. You know, they're just lost. They have nobody. They've lost hope. So we want to give them hope, you know. Well, I'm hoping, and, you know, there's no doubt that you're making an impact uh, on this problem. And this is a huge problem. And, and I'm glad to see that uh, you're, you and, and the other people that are associated with Silent Bridge, um, you know, the, the, the quiet professionals, the, the, the quiet warriors that are, are just getting in there and trying to make a difference in one, one person's life at a time. Uh, my hat's off to you. I mean, God bless yeah, you. Fantastic. Hey, and uh, I know that you also depend upon charitable donations. So for listeners, you can go to the website, yep. uh, Silent Bridge. Uh, and you can, uh, as your heart has been uh, moved, as you've heard some of these stories, um, uh, and and I think uh, that's what we've been hearing from you um, as a CEO from uh, of Silent Bridge, that you couldn't unsee what you saw, and you can't unhear what you hear, and uh, then it's your responsibility to do something. So, and I'm, uh, so my hat's off to you, my friend, for doing that. Anything else you want to uh, leave with us before we end this uh, this episode concerning no, Silent Bridge or where you're going? Or yeah, I just thank both of you for the time you took um, to do this. Uh, this is the second podcast I've done in the last week, and and um, it's uh, people are um, becoming more and more aware of the problem. Mm-hmm. People often ask me, you know, what's the best thing I can do? Is it donate money? Um, is it volunteer? And, uh, you know, of course, we always appreciate donations. We always appreciate people volunteering. Um, but the biggest thing people can do is, is become aware, you know, self-awareness. Just yeah. uh, start, you know, uh, you just, the Internet's a powerful tool. You know, type in there and read, read about the human sex trafficking. Understand what a horrible, horrible thing it is. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the most rewarding thing, you could ever have happened to you, I think, in my and in, uh, in my life anyway. Uh, other than accepting, uh, you know, uh, Jesus Christ as my Savior, is that uh, the most rewarding thing you can do is to walk into a room of you know uh, 10, 15, 20 girls that have been uh, um, you know saved from this uh, environment and feel safe, and have them all you know jump on you, hug you, throw flowers on you. Um, you know, um, it, there, there's, yeah, nothing, nothing else you can do. Um, we, we donate, we have two small companies and we donate a hundred percent of all profits, a hundred percent of all profits from both the companies go to supporting, um, what we do because we believe in the mission, you know, and, uh, it's fantastic, uh, but become, yeah, become self-aware. That, that's the, uh, biggest thing to me. And, and remember, you don't have to travel to a third world country to see this. I mean, this is happening uh, in our own in our own cities, in our own uh, in our own states, in our own, own southern border. This is a huge uh, uh, multinational global problem. Um, it is modern day twenty first century slavery. Uh, there's huge money in it, lots of power, um, and uh, we're seeing. Um, thank goodness for people uh, organizations like Silent Bridge that are. Mm-hmm. That are that are attacking this thing and and, and shedding some si- uh, sunlight on it and really uh, helping, uh, like you said, making people aware is the main thing. This is happening. 
don't be the don't be the person that just shuts the door, and ignores it, and says the problem's too big. Uh, all of us really need to be involved in this. Yeah, thank you for my friend for doing that. Thank you for being out in the trenches, going out to areas where people don't want to go or they don't know about, for people that uh, they're the unknown many, like you said. Uh, so, listeners, you can go to silentbridge.org. And, uh, you know, if I could also ask you, uh, as the CEO of Silent uh, Bridge, if you could uh, close us out in prayer. Definitely. Thank you for the honor of doing that. Lord, thank you so much for all you've given us. For the opportunity, thank you for Paul and Mike for bringing this message to their listeners. I'm so thankful for the strength that you've given everybody that is fighting this horrible problem. I'm thankful for the men and the women that I've met uh, and and doing this task. Thank you for the strength that you continue to give all of us in serving you and serving these young children around the world that are in need. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, sir. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Pinelander Podcast. If you enjoy our unique content, please consider supporting our sponsors. Soft News, providing special operations news from around the world. It's where Paul and I go to keep abreast of what's going on within the soft community. Check them out at soft.news. Blacksmith Publishing, been serving the warrior class since 2013. They have great titles written for warriors, by warriors, If you're looking for excellent reference material or just want to unwind with a great novel, be sure to check out the bookstore located at blacksmithpublishing.com. And if you're looking for some cool Pinelander apparel, head on over to the General Store located at pinelandergeneralstore.com. That's all one word, pinelandergeneralstore.com. Have a great selection of shirts, hats, jackets, sweaters, stickers, patches, artwork, and a whole lot more. Check out the store at pinelandergeneralstore.com. If you're interested in helping develop our country's next generation of warriors, uh, please consider donating to the American Agogi Project. The mission of the project is to foster an environment producing able-bodied citizen warrior men of fine character. And we'll be officially launching the project in 2023 in celebration of uh, Blacksmith Publishing's 10th anniversary. Until our next meeting, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. To each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. May God continue to bless Pineland.